Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Well, if you're anywhere near the GFL Taro Industrial Dump in Stony Creek, you can smell that smell, and you have been smelling that smell for a good long time. There are so many people who have been so upset by the stink that's coming from there, complaints and attempts to do something about it with not much success. Well, there now is a step being taken. I don't know if it's going to stop the smell, and I don't know if it's going to make everybody around there happy if the smell doesn't stop, but it is, it's a pretty hefty, hearty, punitive act to try and force someone to do something. Let me bring in Donna Skelly. She is the MPP4. Uh, uh, tell me again, Donna. I can never remember. Thank you. Glamber of Lambert, but Upper Stony Creek Falls is a very, very big riding, and it includes Upper Stony Creek the uh, upper part of the mountain, the South Mountain, Upper Dundas, all of Waterdown, all of Flamborough, Mount Hope, Ben. But you're talking about Upper Stony Creek and the landfill site, and that falls in this in this riding. Yes, and welcome and welcome to the show, by the way. Thank you for doing this. And I was thinking Flam Glam because that's always the coolest name to, <laughs> to call the the riding. But um, so okay, so we have had not we I I've not been there, and I'm appreciative for that. But for those who are out by Stony Creek, this has been a summer of nose hair burning stench coming off this dump, and it seems as though nothing has been able to be done about it. So the, the, the provincial government has now put in fines and pretty hefty fines to try and get something done. I mean, how, how expensive could this potentially be for, for the operators? Well, for any operator of a landfill site, this new regulation that we introduced and that came into force last week could uh, mean that they see fines anywhere from $1,000 a day to $100,000 a day. But I want to back up a little. The fine will not stop a smell. If there was a magic pill, we would have used it by now. The reality is uh, the smell is coming from leachate, and leachate is the result of water seeping into a landfill, and it creates this very foul odor. And in order to eliminate the odor, you have to eliminate the leachate. And it's taken months to to take out the leachate, move it, down to the treatment water treatment facility for the city of Hamilton. It has to be treated, and then it, it is disposed of. So there are a number of things that are causing the delay, A, the amount of leachate, and B, the fact that the city has, um, has a limit as well as to how much it can treat at any one time. So that is, that is also part of the problem. So with the fines that are now in place, so as you, you're, you're exactly right. A fine doesn't necessarily get rid of the smell. The action has to be taken. How long, like, do the fines kick in potentially immediately, or is there a grace period here to say, you, we're going to give you X amount of days or weeks to do something, and then we'll have fines? Uh, well, the point of this particular change in regulation, and, and Government works very, very, very slow, but this was actually pretty quick to bring in this type of a legislation, regulation change this quickly. But what we discovered is that uh, landfill sites did not fall in this category. So the only way we could have fined a landfill site if they were seen to be in noncompliance of any environmental protection regulation was to take them to court. And that's very lengthy and very costly. But now that they are included in this regulation, so it's a change to the regulation, now the penalties can be imposed immediately if they are seen to be in violation. And as I said, they're quite significant, but they, they vary in category. So there are three different, if, if I may walk you through it a little bit, um, there are three degrees of severity, and within those different varying degrees, depending on whether uh, there's it's called like the level of consequence, less serious, serious, or very serious. They vary from, as I said, $1,000 per day right up to $100,000 today. If uh, they are seen to have uh, deliberately, for example, um, uh, broken an environmental law, perhaps for profit. 
So it okay. So it's confusing though because the deliberately broken. So is the leachate a deliberate violation, or could they? Is that not going to lead to a resolution of this? I I can't. I certainly wouldn't want to rule on it. But at this point, I will tell you, they haven't been quick enough for most people. But so far, GFL has done what they've been asked to do. The problem is. It takes time, and it's not what anyone wants to hear, but it is the reality. They purchased the, and I'm not defending them, I'm not defending them, but I'm saying the reality is they tried to um, address the issue by uh, bringing in a specific foam that they that would act as a temporary measure to control the odor. It didn't work. That was probably a month or two ago. So now the reality is they have to get this leachate out. And once they get the leachate out, they build a whole um, it's, it's a facility that will enclose the the uh, the landfill so that we're not going to see something like this happen again. Okay, but now, if, if they that... Are, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that they are still under investigation. They are still being tested. Uh, the water is being tested. The soil is being tested. The air quality is being tested um, continually. At this point, we haven't, I'm, I, I'm not aware, I am not aware of any sort of a toxic component in the air or ground. Uh, it doesn't mean, it doesn't exist, but I've not been made aware of it at this point. So really, it is a foul, um, nuisance doesn't give enough uh, gravity, the word it doesn't give enough um, substance to the problem on the ground, but that's what it is considered, a nuisance odor. It has been horrible for people living in the area, and hopefully it will be. It, and it has subsided quite a bit because they are right down to the bottom of the of the fill the landfill site, and they should be able to get the land the leachate out, all of it out very soon. Okay, and so just very quickly in the time we have left, if as long as a company is whether it's here or any others, because this is not just a law for this one, um, as long as they are working to resolve the problem and it looks like efforts are being made, will fines be given or will the fines only kick in if they don't try to do something to resolve the problem? Uh, I think it's a mixture of the two, to be very honest with you, because the reality is this should not have happened. And uh, am I saying that fines could be imposed? I think fines could be imposed, but I think that the more severe fines would be imposed on any landfill site that is seen to deliberately um, violate any sort of an environmental protection measure. Uh, but again, the biggest change is we did not have a tool to to enforce or even uh, to enforce these penalties uh, at a landfill site up until last week when we made the change. That is Donna Skelly. She is the MPP for Flamgland, Flamborough Glanbrook. Uh, I'll get it right eventually. Uh, we will uh, appreciate you doing this, Donna. Thanks for coming on and talking about this. Anytime. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is tonight, there is a meeting that is going to be happening tonight with the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, the public school board. And on the agenda, and it's a, it, to me, it's a strange thing that's on the agenda. There is all kinds of changes being proposed to a policy manual for trustees about what can be put on to delegation requests with meetings, who among trustees can speak to the media or how they can go about that. There's a lot of things that seem as though expression is being restricted. And, and maybe that's not how it should be read, but that's how I'm reading it. Todd White is a public school board trustee for Wards 5 and 10, and he has been a critic of this. He joins us now. Todd, how are you today? Very well, Scott. How are you doing? I am well, and I want to say right off the top, we did uh, invite Don Danko, who's the chair, to speak to this. We did not hear back, um, but I'm thrilled that Todd is here. I'm not sure I understand what the point of this is. I'm not sure I understand why you as a trustee, and good thing we're speaking to you today, because by tomorrow you might not be allowed to. Um, That's right. <laughs> I, I'm not sure why you as a trustee, as an elected official, need to have rules on you to start with about who you can speak to or who I, as a member of the media, could speak to. Why is that? You know, it's a really good question. And I think there's been an interesting shift in dialogue in the past couple of years. I, I've noticed school boards um, and other elected bodies are 
taking a, or making a greater effort to kind of screen the content of what people are saying, um, putting additional rules in place. Um, and it's a very interesting time. And at a board, for instance, you know, sometimes th things can get heated, conversations can, can sometimes turn ugly. Um, but often the solution to that isn't to cut off the dialogue, but to find better ways to have the dialogue. I would, okay, I don't love the idea that I can't call up, again, as a member of the media trying to get answers. If I call up a teacher or a principal, I get that they are an employee of a board, and therefore many of them will say I have to get permission. You, though, and not just you, but you as the example, you have run for this position in an election. You are not, in my mind, subject to the whims of a board. You are an elected person who's answerable to the public, not to the people on the board. It seems to me that this shouldn't even be discussed. Precisely. And then this is where I think folks have, you know, as of late, different views of, of media versus other types of conversations as well. And I don't think it reflects well on trustees. I also don't think it reflects well on media because it almost seems to be calling into question the intention of our, of our media partners as if we need to protect something from them. Whereas, as we know, local journalism is about accountability and getting information out um, and all pretty much the same things that boards, public, uh, publicly elected school boards try to do. We have very similar um, uh, qualities uh, that, that we share. So to me, it's be embracing some of those positive conversations. I can tell you, when I began as a trustee, and it really hasn't changed, the type of dialogue that I have with, whether it's community members, you give me a call on the phone, we do a media interview, whatever it is, I don't really shift or change my dialogue or the content that I deliver. It's pretty much the same. So this is where I have trouble with different types of, of regulation around who a trustee can speak with or suggesting that we have to speak differently to media. At the end of the day, communication is communication. And whether we're talking to our neighbor or we're talking to a reporter, uh, the content shouldn't change. Well, okay, so let's say you were not a school board trustee, but although your name was on a ballot, let's say you're an MP or a city councillor or an MPP. Yes, those places might say, if you were at a provincial or a federal party, we'd like you to echo the party line. You don't mm -hmm. have a party line, but there is never going to be a political party or a city council or a mayor that says, city councillor, you may not talk to anybody in the media unless you run it through our comms department first. That, it, it again, it, it makes no sense. As an elected person, your boss is the public, and sometimes the public is spoken to through the media. It, to me, this is a nonsensical thing to even start the discussion on. Well, and, and you're exactly right. And that, that's where um, elected school board trustees have to understand who they're accountable to. And there are elements that keep trustees elect accountable to the organization. Um, and there are some minor rules around decorum and professionalism, course, things like that. Um, but those rules are there kind of as minimums to protect, you know, like I said, decorum to, to stop personal attacks, things like that. But it's not there to, to cut off debate. So if you have a particular position on a policy, it's not there to censor your position on a particular topic or policy. Um, that type of debate should be encouraged. And, and I really don't see the downside because some people see some of those difficult conversations as potentially harmful to the board. I see it quite, quite differently. That's really what makes elected school boards special is that you get the, those range of opinions and you have those conversations where not everyone agrees. Through that type of debate and discourse is how you get really really good quality decisions because you've explored all of the options you've considered all of the angles you've well, heard why all have of a board voices. otherwise why have a board Precisely. Otherwise? you know uh, and, and 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 that's an argument that i would make you know at the exact same time it erodes the role of elected school boards and we know in recent years there's, there's efforts questioning whether local school boards should continue there's other provinces that have tried different models you know and i say the more autonomy you take from school boards and elected school board trustees you're going to move in that direction where the next question being asked is should we even have school boards yeah uh one of the other things that's on the agenda now maybe you can clarify if i get anything wrong here but it seems that there's also a move that those who want to delegate who want to speak to a, the committee the, the board 
should have to give detailed information in advance. And this is according to a piece in the spec uh, today on the spec.com. Uh, Don Danko, the chair says, so that the board can ensure delegations are aligned with the board's values and don't cause harm. Cause harm to who? Yeah, it's a good question. I personally don't think that the board should vet delegations. There really is no need unless um, what the person has submitted, which is really just usually the topic or whatnot, you know, follows those minimum standards around decorum and respect. So you want to ensure that community members and delegates follow the human rights code, you know, that we, we don't use coarse language, that they don't uh, provide uh, private information about staff members, for instance, in a public forum. So there's things like that that you may, you know, inform constituents about. But for the most part, you don't really vet delegations because that's kind of counterproductive to the intent. The delegations are the opinions of the delegates and the public. You don't need to vet that. They, <laughs> it's their ability and their form to bring forward their concerns to us, and we should encourage that. So I think it puts a different spin on the type of relationships that we have with our communities when it's suggested that we have to pre-approve what you're going to say. If you as a board person, if you as an elected person will either not want to hear something that doesn't align with what is described as your values or that it's going to cause you harm, I would suggest you may not want to be in politics of any level anymore, because if you are not willing to hear, as you say, the other side, that's not politics. That's I don't know what that is, but it's not politics. Yeah. And the and the ability for it to be misused now we're in the sure. future always concerns me because right you know given us a certain state of an organization the current folks around the table or the chair might have great intentions and might use that process well however you could fast forward for eight years to another term and you could get in a whole other bunch of trustees that use that vetting process to really shut down quality debate. So my mind isn't always just in the present, but in the future, how could you misuse a policy around vetting content from the public or vetting contact content from a trustee? Um, and how could you misuse that? So those are the types of questions that I ask. And it really concerns me because having been on the board as long as I have, I've seen so many iterations of trustees and chairs and whatnot. And, and it concerns me that what someone just over a couple of years could you do even accidentally or with no you know, intent or purpose to, to misuse a policy of that nature. We got to run, Todd. I only got 15 seconds. But honestly, if someone showed up and said something as a delegation that was truly the most offensive thing that you could ever imagine, I won't throw out any examples I could come up with right now, but someone comes up with the thing that you find the single most offensive comment somebody could make in front of the board. What's the worst that happens? You you say, thank you for coming and you move on to the next thing. Where 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 is the harm to the board in even hearing something that might upset them? Well, and that's where having effective chairs can shut that down in the moment. Once again, it's the board can send that message where you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. It's very much the opposite. We want to assume you have the best intentions. You come to the boardroom, you present your information. And if you happen to be that, those very few individuals that misuse the process, then we can mm -hmm. shut you down and we have certain steps for that. Um, but at the end of the day, the harm of actually shutting down people with with valid concerns and valid content is a lot scarier than the ones that you may use to protect the board. Well said. Uh, that is Todd White, uh, public school board trustee. Maybe the last time we talk to him without permission, <laughs> we will see. <laughs> Depends how the meeting goes. Todd, appreciate well, you doing we'll, this today. We'll have to pre-record our future conversation. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Thanks a lot, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let me bring in man who is here almost every Monday, at least when I am. His name is Don Robertson. He owns and operates the Dundas Real McCoys, which are getting started shortly, and ComChoice Realty, and he has been the Dundas Citizen of the Year, and I mention those things all the time, and I'm going to do some more research and find something new about him for one of these weeks coming up. But anyway, thanks for coming in. Welcome back. You're welcome. That's your gift to the audience? That's my gift to the Well, you know, I can't, I can't buy them all... You know, I'm not Oprah. So you you just, get a car and you get a, no, you get a quiz question and you get a quiz question. So you just throw them a lob ball like that. Well, I don't know if that's a lob ball. That's a tough one to me. I would well, never, I, I, I don't know that I would have got this one. I would, it's, you could guess, you could guess and it, you'd probably have a pretty good chance at getting it. And if you're in the medical field at all, 
you should know this, I would think. If mm. you're a nurse, a doctor, or whatever, um, coroner, coroner should really know it. Anyway, uh, so I don't know if you saw today that uh, this is, of course, a Great Cup week, and the Great Cup arrived in town today in Pier 8. It came on a military ship that came sailing in, and the sailors were on top, and one of them was holding the Grey Cup. And I got to ask you this. I, I, I immediately went, wait a second, because as the ship came in, one of the sailors, one of the Navy people, was holding the Grey Cup overhead. And I'm thinking, that's, are you allowed to do that with the Grey Cup? You can't do that with the Stanley Cup. You're not allowed to do it unless you win the Stanley Cup. You cannot lift Phil Pritchard, the guy with the white gloves and the that's hair and the MasterCard commercial from Burlington. Uh, he will tackle you. If you try and lift it overhead, that is reserved for Stanley Cup winners. What do you think about this? Is that, is that a tradition that's just too stuffy and too strict and that, you know, if you want to hoist the thing overhead, go ahead. Or do you like the idea that there is one thing reserved only for those who have won it? I, I, um, I don't think the Grey Cup is held in quite the same Categories the Stanley Cup to start no, with. No, uh, but you could still have the tradition. Old, it's not even as old as the Allen Cup. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess th- if that's the case, the sailor broke the rules or didn't know them. I don't think it is, though. I don't think that's the rule for the <clears throat> Grey Cup. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed it. But I just, I, I like that idea that there is something that is unique and special that I can't do because I've never won it. I can touch it. I can look at it. I can see it up close. I could kiss it if I wanted to. Yeah, I can't up, lift it overhead. It. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I wasn't aware of that, but some traditions are very nice. Um, I think in Canada, and I'm going to say I think the Stanley Cup's Canadian, that the Grey Cup, the Stanley Cup, the Allen Cup are all beautiful cups. The Memorial Cup is 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 a is a very nice cup. When you see what you get to win the World Series, uh, the NBA, they're trophies. So who wants to lift that stuff over their head? But the Stanley Cup and the Grey Cup, et cetera, are pretty historic and have mm. some significant value. The fact that a sailor was holding it over his head, I'm not going to think about it after we're done talking about it, I bet. No, and that's fine. <clears throat> and that's fine. And, uh, again, it's just I love the I love the – tradition and I love that there is that one unique thing. I, I years ago, actually more than once, uh, a number of times I've stood with someone who's been wearing a Stanley Cup ring and they've taken it off and handed it to me and said, oh, go try it on. And I will never put it on. I've never put on a Stanley Cup ring that I've been offered because same thing. I'm just, that's just, that's not a tradition, but I feel like I didn't earn it. I, I'll hold it. I'll look at it. I'll check it out and yeah. appreciate it. Yep. But you get to wear it because you want it, not me. And I, I just, I, I like these traditions in sports. I think it makes it special that there are these little things. As someone who doesn't win a green jacket cannot wear a green jacket. You know, you well, don't. You can't win a master's green jacket. Well, you, yeah. could go to, you could go to buy a greenish jacket. <laughs> but you, you know what happens, by the way, if you walk to, a, if you go try to show up at Augusta as just an average Joe wearing a green jacket, you don't get in. Really? And, and if you are wearing one they will remove you from the course. Really? Uh-huh. Because the, uh, the, the members, it's not just the winners, the members. The reason you get a green jacket as Augusta is because when you win, you become a member for life of okay. the course. And the members, that's a member jacket. That's where it started from. So the, uh. you will see guys walking around the course when you're down there wearing green jackets. They are members. You try and... F- fudge your way into that, they will show you how to get off the course real fast. Do they make them wear Tilly hats? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I didn't, I wasn't aware that uh, you couldn't go in there with a green jacket on. No, you can go online and there's a story of a guy who did it and he didn't last long. Is that right? Well, there are some great sporting traditions and if lifting um, uh, the gray cup over your head is taboo, then I don't know if it is, but it should be. Well, I think. you should get on that. All right. Here's another tradition. The <clears throat> Carolina Hurricanes are playing in an outdoor game 
in February the 10th. I am totally done with outdoor games. Couldn't care less about them, but this one I will watch, and I'll tell you why. The Carolina Hurricanes previously were, remember? Uh, Hartford Whalers. Hartford Whalers. The Hartford Whalers, the Carolina Hurricanes, will be showing up wearing in the outdoor game in old Hartford Whalers green and white uniforms with the Cooperalls. That, I am on board with that. I re- I was a linesman in the OHL when uh was major junior hockey then, when they went to Cooperalls. And they were a rage. But as er- soon as the ice was flooded, like the first five minutes of the period, if somebody wiped out... You just slid the they length of the was, ice. You looked like a bowling ball. You just couldn't stop. It's true. And, <laughs> and, and as an official trying to <laughs> set up on the lines... And you were trying to look across. They all had a big white stripe down their side. So you couldn't tell which stripe was hardly belonging to who. It was a little bit of a challenge. I didn't get many of them right anyways, I guess, most of the time. But at least I had a reason at that point in time. I think that's great. And you know what? They're going to sell a million oh, yeah. jerseys because of it. Oh, so so this was just announced. It came out a few hours ago, <clears throat> the announcement and the, the picture of the uniform. Some team, not the NHL, I don't think. But there is going to be a team somewhere. This, this is. Remember when, when, um, who was the goalie for the Canadians who wore the toque? Uh, Patrick Waugh. No, no, no. Um, after him. Uh, uh, anyway, in the outdoor game, the very first one wore the toque in over Edmonton? his mask. Yeah, was not Patrick Waugh. No, it was. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. I'm just drawing. I was away. there. I remember um, wearing the toque. And then those toques sold like everybody had to have one yeah. of those two. Some team is going to decide to wear Cooperalls as a result of this game. They are going to sell all the Cooper could come back with the Cooperalls now, and they will sell a, f- a million of them. First of all, I don't think Cooper is still around. Probably not. Whoever owns, who owns them, whoever owns Cooper, but it's uh, the thing that goes with that is is well, and they and they, and the and the officials wear them now. Yes, the uh, they're not garters. What are they? But they're the inner shell. That you used to wear that's that form fitting to your body. It's it was it was pretty cool actually, because I wore Cooperalls when I was uh, uh, playing rec hockey, and just because I thought they were cool and somebody I think gave them to me. Um, but the uh, the inner protection is what the linesmen and the officials wear now, so they don't get struck. So there is a bit of an infrastructure to it. You can't just go buy the shells and tell your guys to wear them because they got nothing. You know, no padding underneath them. But you're right. Somebody will pick it up again and make it a, uh, that 70s show kind of thing. Yeah. And so there will be, uh, you know what they should do now too, is some of the players should come out wearing Lang skates. Oh, Remember I, Lang? I wore them as a linesman too. You know why? Because they have so much padding on the sides. Because you're, you're Well, they were so, shells. They were hard, they yes. were hard skates. Hard but you're so susceptible when you're a linesman and the puck's coming around and if you're trying to get out of the way, you're always getting binged off the ankle. Those things were great. Yeah. And those Cooper, the old Cooper helmets that look like Tron helmets, like they should go fully 80s old school on this whole thing. Bring the whole, they, uh, they won't do wooden sticks. That would be a bit of a competitive mm-hmm. disadvantage, but no, that is. But uh, the protection uh, of those old Cooper helmets compared to what they wear today is like. I mean, that was like wearing a ball cap. Yeah, but you could you could form whoever makes them now. Whoever owns Cooper could create a helmet yeah, in that, that shape. That looks like it. That looks like yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah, th- that would be awesome because I just uh, I lo- the Hartford Whalers uniform remains one of the great uniforms in hockey. It does. It's still one of the nicest, most yeah. beautiful. And what here's the thing that nobody notices. If you go, if people go look it up now, and they remember, it's the it had the the W that was like a like an emerald green almost, and it had out of the middle thing in the W, there was a whale tail that came out of it. But if you look, the white part between the whale tail and the W makes an H, which no one ever sees. For Hartford. For Hartford. Yeah, so no one ever jogger, I've been I've been to that arena, the Hartford Arena, yeah. and uh, for an AHL game, and... My geography isn't good enough. Why would they be called the Whalers? Well, because within an eight-hour drive, you could probably find a whale. <laughs> That's what Like, at least in Seattle, you can find a kraken. Well, you know, there's not much jazz in Utah. No, they, that's because the team moved there from New Orleans. Yes. And, you know, the St. Louis Blues. I mean, there are they, that's, that's actually a good one. There is Blues. But the Lakers in Los Angeles, there's no lakes. But, of course, I moved from Minneapolis. But, yeah, there's there's teams that have, 
Odd names. Odd names. And, and in fact, on Remembrance Day, I had someone, it came up, and I don't know why it came up at that particular time, but that the maple leafs are not named the maple leafs after foliage. When Con Smythe named them, he didn't name them because he had a tree in his backyard and in the fall when the leaves fell, he goes, I love the look of those leaves. It was because the, the Maple Leafs was the military, the branch, the division, the whatever in the military in which he served, the Maple Leafs. I didn't, I did didn't not know, that? know that. So that's why the team is called the Maple Leafs because it was Con Smythe's division or, or whatever you call it in the military. I thought they named them after the intercounter baseball team. Well, no, that would, but... It, nonetheless, it's like, so there, there are reasons, but you just, it's not, it's, it, they don't always make sense, but you're right. The Whalers, I, I. Memphis Grizzlies went from Vancouver. I don't there's a lot of grizzly bears in Vamp- Memphis. Probably not. They should have been, the, they still, I still say that's the biggest miss of all time. The Memphis Elvi hmm. would have been, you think of the, the logo Think of the merchandise. You could have every game had giveaways. Instead of like waving white towels, everybody could have had an Elvis wig that they gave, they left on the seats that you could have put on. Yeah, you the could have music, had a lot of time with that. You, there, oh, the music would be perfect. You could, the, the possibilities, you, you had to dump the Grizzly name when you moved to Memphis. You had to. The, cha- the opportunity to do something would have been amazing. Hey, do you think Winnipeg's going to move to Hamilton in the NHL? Because they're not drawn well and they got a small rink. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna start that one. <laughs> they're gonna no, uh, they're not. It's well, funny because when for the first time, and I was so thrilled that this was the case. Not that you know, sure, I'd love it if the NHL came here, but I'm a realist. When Tim Laiwicki was here a week or two ago to announce the launch of the renovation of First Ontario Center, the 280 million dollar thing. He said, well, we're going to get a hockey team. I still don't know how he's going to do it, but nonetheless, we're going to get a hockey team. It's AHL or OHL. I did not say NHL, did not mention it. No. So wise to not crack that Pandora's well, box Well, I think he's again. a governor in the NHL for Seattle. Yeah, but don't, just don't even, don't even start that discussion. Don't begin <clears throat> creating that narrative that somehow they're going to look to do it. You know what? If ever the day comes that you think you can maybe make this happen, and I don't believe it. But if ever that day were to come, do it quietly and just, you know. We'll do it like Winnipeg did. They bought the Atlanta Thrashers, and nobody knew it was going to happen until they saw Gary Bettman in, in the airport the evening or the day before the announcement. There was some speculation coming out, but that was it. I mean, that's the way the NHL tell you to do it. If you want a team, don't tell anything, anybody about it. Hamilton's last two boisterous attempts, the potential owner went to the paper before he went to the NHL. Yeah, it's, uh, it, that's not happening, but nonetheless, it's, um, we're not, yeah, let's, let's, let's not start the, uh, let's not start the Jets to Hamilton thing right now. I, I don't know if I have the, the juice to begin that discussion and to fight that one off when somebody goes, that's a great idea, Don. That's yeah, a great so idea. Is, is there something in the works? No, I don't think so. Just the first one I've had. Well, the, the, uh, yeah, let's take a break while we uh, reset. And, and please do not call in and tell us that that's a great idea. It's not happening. Even Don will say that's not happening. We'll see. <laughs> Don, I should mention, by the way, that I got an, uh, I was notified today that your golf partner, uh, Ron Foxcroft sends his best to you, but also the Foxcroft family has a very interesting local sports family, uh, a trifecta this week that I don't know that it's going to be matched anytime soon. Ron is working as a ref supervisor for the Raptors tonight. Steve is working the yardstick chain crew at the Bills game tonight. And Dave is in the command center for the Grey Cup on Sunday. I got that, uh email today I'd sent. Uh, it's a pretty cool trifecta. I don't know when we're going to see that again. I, I don't think you could. I, I I mean, what are the odds? I mean, they're zero. I would think. I mean, I just can't. I mean, you may get the NHL would have um, the Dvorsky brothers, which was rather uncommon. One is a referee, one is a linesman. But when you get them in, in three different leagues, really, and all major leagues, it's pretty unique. It's quite a statement for uh, the Order of Canada recipient and co-golf uh, champion with me. 
Yep. The, the last I remember like this was when, uh, and forgive me, I'm going to mangle their last name, but they used to play volleyball, the Yenjaevskas. And Powell was the guy who played for McMaster. They were in the Ontario University Championship on the same weekend. His sister was for McMaster in the Ontario University Championship that same weekend. And two other siblings played for Mohawk and were in the Ontario College Championship all on the same weekend, all in the same sport, which I don't know that you're ever going to top that one. You know, the only family around that might pull something like that off is the nurse family. Uh, yes. Basketball, hockey. Yeah, but men- not at the same time. Like, well, no, they could. They could. I mean, it could work out that, you know, Darnell could end up playing in some championship the same time Sarah's playing in a championship the same time Kia's playing. Yeah, they could. They I mean, could. That's, that's the only family that I can think. And it's in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. That's probably the only reason I could come up with it. Yeah. No, but no. It's... it's um, it's it's a rarity. It's, you know who's not playing in a championship? Toronto Argonauts. How did you watch any of the game on the weekend? I I, I watched more of that game than I watched of any game all year, and Why? I think my old Hamilton Rams could beat them. Well, Sue's went down to Port Perry to see her daughter. And I was working outside. And I went in, and the game was. I'm gonna watch this for ten minutes, and it was so terrible. It was it was truly all right. That's uh, <laughs> what's going on. Oh, ben. Don doesn't have headphones on. Ben's playing some uh, curb your enthusiasm, ridiculous music. Yeah, it, it was it was almost uncom. I mean, as much as Ticat fans I'm sure, were reveling in it, it was almost uncomfortably bad. Even if you are a diehard Ticat fan who hates the Argos, there's a certain point at which your humanity almost makes you feel bad for the quarterback, for Chad Kelly. When Chad Kelly is touted as going to be the guy that wins the MVP. Which he will. Uh, who's an absolute stu- superstar stud in in the CFL. He seemed to have more receptions by the Montreal defense than he did his team. And it was, and it didn't stop. I mean, they're down threatening to score a touchdown. And he throws an ill-advised pass that gets run back for a touchdown. And he's not done. I mean, he just... He made a lot of bad decisions. Montreal have a great defense, but, you know, they're not the Chicago Bears of the 80s. I mean, they're pretty good, but, wow, that was talking about self-destructing. But do you think that with with a guy like Chad Kelly, as great a year as he's had, do you... Do you believe that an athlete, or frankly anybody, once it gets into your head that things aren't going right, that you can make yourself be bad? Because I think that as soon as things started going wrong, it was almost an, a self-fulfilling prophecy. He starts to doubt himself and starts to believe that things are not going to work and then they don't work. I, I, I believe wholeheartedly, physically, he's a great quarterback. I, I think he got so much into his own head that game that he couldn't do anything right. Well, they were 16-2, and two, so not having watched every Argo game this year, as you might appreciate, um, I would assuredly believe that there's no chance he's been in that predicament before. Probably not even going back to when he was a kid. Right? Like, so now he's, so he sailed through the regular season and maybe had a little bit of adversity, kind of shook it off and away he went. Now, maybe he was really really astonished that there was 26,000 people watching him play football in Toronto and he didn't know what to do about it. But I mean, whatever the comic relief mistakes I suggest, it was, um, it was, it was terrible. And I did, I felt bad for the Argos and you know, I can't be an Argo fan. It is, um, it's hard to imagine that, yes, it's hard to imagine that you could feel bad for the Argos. And yet, for a lot of people around here, and I bet some people did though, because it just got to the point where, and I talked on with Scott Thompson earlier today on his show, it was like watching Greg Norman in the Masters that one time. When it just fall apart. You just, it, it just completely... All the, everything went, everything evaporated. Or like uh, Rick Ann Keel. Remember the Rick Ann Keel, the pitcher for St. Louis in the World Series? He was a young guy. And in one inning, he threw like five wild pitches, set a record. He just couldn't throw the ball over the plate. He was hitting the backstop. He was, it was like nuke Lalu. Wild thing. Yeah. And he never recovered from that. He got the yips and he never recovered. He could, he became an outfielder because he could not throw a strike. <laughs> He just, it, it was, somehow it got into his head. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Chad Kelly. I don't believe that. But I believe for that day, 
he started to believe that it could not, the, the confidence was gone and started to believe that it wasn't going to work. And then it just cycles downhill. Well, I think he thought he could bring the magic back. I mean, that's the only explanation. I mean, on the one play, he's running to the left and throws back against the grain into mm. a, an almost an impossible situation. But he's probably going, I've done this before. It'll work this time. And nothing he nothing he did. But there work. wasn't anything on it. That was the thing. It's like he it was just, a lob ball. Yeah, it wasn't like he threw it across his body and he put a zip on it. And yeah. it just it was just it was startling. It was and you know I, I I believe and I know that other people have said, including my colleague still Steve Milton has said, you know, having the Argos out has been is a bit of a downer for the business side of the Grey Cup, because Toronto people, the way they were selling, you might have had a lot of people come down this way. See, I don't agree. I'm not, because Montreal doesn't travel <clears throat> real well, but at least the people who come from Montreal are going to come and stay in the hotels to me and not just come for the day of the game. I I agree 100%. When I was sitting there watching, I got thinking, well, good for the, good for the city of Hamilton and tourism and... Uh, all the money that the city threw at, threw at the Grey Cup because if they bring 2,500 fans, everybody isn't staying at their cousin's house. And if the Argos come, are they going to head out after the game and go to Burlington for something to eat? Are they going to go to Mississauga? They're going back, pardon me, to Toronto. They're going home. They're going home. Yeah. They're sounds not like, spending one night like here. <laughs> They're not spending one night here. And uh, everybody that comes from Montreal, and if there's some Montreal fans um, that are in the area but not Hamilton proper, they'll come and uh, stay overnight. And I just think from an economic boost, having Montreal here is going to be better for the restaurants and hotels. I I truly believe that, I mean, the best situation for the Grey Cup, economic-wise, not, I mean, we would have loved to have the Ticats in the game, but economic-wise, the best possible outcome would have been a crossover game so that you end up with Saskatchewan versus Winnipeg in this game. That would have been the ideal yeah. scenario. You're trying to sell hotel rooms. And- yeah, but since you're, that's so unlikely, it's never happened before that there's been two Western teams, I think Winnipeg is second only to Saskatchewan as far as fans who will travel, and I think Montreal is the best option from the East you could have got. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's as good as you could hope for, you know, again, Saskatchewan makes it your set because they travel anywhere. Yeah. Uh, Winnipeg though would be a, uh, would be tight in a second. All right. We is, have to, is the game sold out? It is sold out. And, but that, I mean, that was always, as soon as Winnipeg won, you knew that it was going to be sold out no matter how many tickets were left. The Winnipeg people are going to come. I don't know how many of the tickets, we have no idea how many are bought by Montreal. But the irony is, and I really believe this too, anybody in the stadium who is not from Winnipeg is cheering for Montreal in this game. I think Montreal has begun. Winnipeg, people are, you know, good for Winnipeg for their consistency, but people are like, okay, we're ready for something new Yeah, I I agree. And Mike O'Shea is the coach. You're not going to have a lot of Hamilton people cheering on Mike O'Shea. Maybe cheering for Zach Caleros because he's a likable guy. He really yeah. is, even though he's, he's a former Ticats. He's the guy that Ticats got rid of. Yeah. Although he had injury problems, he blew out his knee and he'd had concussions. And I mean, I, I'm not sure that, I mean, retrospect is great, but I'm not sure that a whole lot of people thought that it was the wrong decision when they got rid of Caleros instead of paying him a big ticket. But it turned out that it was a mistake. Well, I don't I, know that at the time it was seen I, as that. I, I agree. And I, at the time I, I would have agreed with you as well, but I don't think anybody said that turnaround coming. It's who replaced them that they got rid of so quickly too. I got to take a break here, but uh, thank you to Paul, Paul Henderson, in fact, texted me or tweeted me, Paul, not the, I don't think it's the Paul Henderson, although it could be, I'm not sure. Uh, Jose Theodore was the goalie with the, uh, with the two gone that, uh, that we could not come up with the name. So there you go. Thank you, Paul Henderson and nice goal. Don, uh, I'm assuming most people know by now that the Toronto Maple Leafs are Heading off to Sweden for a couple of games. They're, this is part of the NHL's cross-border, worldwide expansion exposure thing. I guess they don't do the Olympics anymore, so we send teams over to Sweden. Why in the world are the Leafs in Sweden? And I'll tell you, the reason I asked the question, I understand the expose the game. Sweden is a hockey hotbed. If you're going to send teams somewhere to expose the game, send them to Moldova. 
or send them to Australia. Well, they already did Australia. Send them to Papua New Guinea. Why are you sending them to some place that already is a full-on, full-in hockey market? Well, I would say that clearly the National Hockey League thinks think that there's broadcast opportunities in Sweden if they can expose it to them. You know I me, mean? if you can't figure it out, look at the money. And if they think they can get, um, on a regular basis, National Hockey League games, and they can, if they have a sports net over there, I've never been to Sweden, but they'll have, they'll have channels over there that may want to start picking up some of the NHL games. And if the league think they can sell broadcast rights over there for 20 or 40 games and get $30 million for it, I mean, that would probably be their answer. They're, they don't have to go there to introduce hockey to Sweden, obviously, or Finland or Slovakia. So I would think that there's an economic look at it. And the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, although they don't always – look like it around here, are one of the most iconic oh, yeah. teams in the National Hockey League. Um, you Especially know, in Sweden with the Salming history and uh, now with Nylander and Schur. Inga Hammerstrung. Yep. But you're right, Nylander. Sorry, what did you say was his first name? Inga. Oh, okay. They said Ingle. No, no, <laughs> Inga. <laughs> yeah, okay. Might, have, might not have got the last one straight either, but... Um, yeah, you, yeah. There, there's a lot of Swedish guys in the National Hockey League. I mean, look at how they do in the Olympics, right? Yep. So I would just think they're probably looking for broadcast partners. Yeah, I, I as I say, to me, if you're going to grow the game, you go someplace that it's not already a dominant, like it is the, well, I don't know if it's the dominant sport. I would say it's the dominant sport, maybe cross-country skiing as well. I don't know. I mean, there's some, you know, Scandinavian things that are passions, but I just... It seems to me like it's a missed opportunity. You can, I'm sure that because of the Swedish players in the NHL, they already have, I, they have to have games on over there. And you can buy, we have the internet now. It's just, to me, you're better off going to, I don't know, pick anywhere, Japan or, or I don't know, some big populous place that doesn't already love hockey and take it there. I, it just makes no sense. Well, Gary Batman has put... Um teams in the South because he thought the South would support hockey and Tampa Bay's done well Carolina's done well Phoenix can almost fill their 5200 seat arena but it's I mean every, he's, he has jammed hockey into places where a lot of people thought it had no chance for success and it's fairly successful now and in some places booming like Tampa's a great NHL town. Tampa now. has done exceptionally well. And Florida's been a bit more of a challenge, but he finds guys that have the staying power to keep the franchise there till they're going to do well. And some of them have been there for decades. So, I mean, there has always been talk. Dallas has been a success story. There's no question about that. Yeah. Like, I mean, there, he, he's put, so I think he's probably playing a little safer card going to uh, Sweden because uh, it's a different continent. But I think in a perfect world, somewhere is sitting around um, sipping on bourbon, deciding that we're going to have a division in Europe someday. And we're going to have a team that? in Germany. What we're about gonna that? We're going to have a team in England. I think that would work. I think if they, they can get somebody to pay almost a billion dollars for a franchise like the Ottawa Senators sold for, those guys will put franchises anywhere. The okay. moon. If you can get a billion dollars... And then they would just have a slight interlock schedule. It would be interesting. Just trying to picture the downtown Baghdad arena. <laughs> yeah, we would, uh, you know, some of the world's hot spots for hockey. You, you know, we could, we could find some of the North Korean blades. Well, uh, Kevin Mitchell that played with us last year and helped us win an Allen Cup uh, from the Bronx but uh, lives in my hometown of Linden now. Played in that Asian league, and he said it was so cool. He wished he'd have went there earlier because they, they flew almost everywhere. You know, they flew to South Korea. So hockey's pretty big in, in that area. Now, I don't think they're drawing 20,000 people, but it's pretty cool. So they do. Hockey's pretty popular in some odd spots. What would be the team name for the team that's based in Syria? <laughs> or, or the Bermuda Triangle Triangles. 
You know, you put one in there. That there, that that's an intimidating spot. The team is based in the Bermuda Triangle. Just come and try and get to our games. <laughs> yeah, the the Lost Hope Rangers. The, yes, the, well, and, and I'm sure that you could put a team or two in North Korea. You I knew you were want, sitting there thinking of something when I was going on. Yeah, you wouldn't want to lose any games. You, no. You, you wouldn't want to make the owner, because the owner would be uh, Kim Jong-un. You yeah. wouldn't want to make the owner upset. But, um, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the kind of motivation that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's too, many, too many teams have too soft a touch now with their coaches. They're players' coaches. We don't need players' coaches. We, we, we need dictators running the franchises. That's, a, that's what the NHL needs. Let's start taking it into some really interesting we'll places. We'll predetermine who's going to win the Stanley Cup right now. Well, it, it, uh, just, I don't know. I, it, it just, to, me, to me, it seems like it's an odd, an odd thing to double down on a place that already loves hockey. I think you'd be, I, I would say let's take it somewhere that doesn't and ex- expose the game to them and make them love it. You know what? That's you're right. I mean, the the one thing you can say about Gary Bettman, there's a lot of things that people don't like about Gary Bettman, and fair enough. Many of the places that he has placed teams have been successful. Many, not all. Uh, as you point out, Arizona is a still a wasteland, and Florida. You know, when they're winning, people are there, but when they're not winning, they're not there. Um, Carolina. Well, Winnipeg's same. Bad team that's coming to Hamilton. That's true too. Like Winnipeg have well, like a fourteen thousand seat arena, and they're not filling it. Yeah, fifteen and a half. And but you're right. You're right. If you want to put a team in a hockey hotbed, wouldn't you think Winnipeg's on your list? That is the first time Winnipeg has ever been referred to as a hotbed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there is nothing warm. I've been to Winnipeg in the winter once, and it was. The only time I ever needed to go there. We were there in the Allen Cup. We stayed in Winnipeg and um, in April, and it wasn't warm yet. There was no but chance the you were running were it. Out. No, they weren't. Or the black flies? No, but there was lots of ice in the parks and in the, in the creeks, and there was flooding and everything else. It was interesting, but it wasn't balmy in April. Mm, there you go. Well, Don, uh, we got only a minute left here, but when do the Dundas Real McCoys get going because it's coming up. It is. The, uh, we will, we go to Wentworth, which is Harry Hall Arena Thursday. And this week? Yes. I didn't realize it was that close. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was still a couple of weeks. Okay, this Thursday. And Saturday we play against the, the, the moved Hamilton um, Steelers that are now the Stony Creek Tigers playing out of Gateway. And, uh, of course, we get two or three guys hurt, and these guys want all revved up. They want to have the Allen Cup champions in for their home openers. And so then uh, then the real start at home is the following Friday, which I think is the 24th, and we'll be playing against Stony Creek, who we played against, strategically planned, in the Allen Cup. There you go. Uh, mark it on your calendars. And I'm sure Don will remind us next week when he's here to uh, to put it on your calendars for next Friday if you want to go see the Dundas Jones or go to Stony Creek or go to wherever you want, Wentworth. There you go. Uh, thanks for coming in. It was fun. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.